If you've been following the podcast, you probably noticed we didn't have an episode last week. And that was because we attended a sanctuary workshop that focused on dialogue training and how to do respectful dialogue. The whole experience was actually quite powerful. It was, uh, it was cool to see a diverse group of people coming together like this. During the event, we took some time to listen to the podcast and discuss our thoughts in small groups, and I got to listen in on some interesting questions. I guess I wonder... Um, about a lot of things, but uh, in particular, the connection between this one case and uh, the larger picture of deportation and, and the Im immigration problem, the undocumented problem, which is vast and involves millions of people. And how is this ad advancing that, or is there like a is, it, is there some kind of a strategy of this? I really noticed how much everybody in the podcast was talking about what a good person Jose is, which is really touching, and I think we need that story, but it's also like, do we have... That, to me, kind of plays into Trump's thing about, like, the bad guys, we got to get rid of the bad guys, and then there's good guys. It's like, I, don't, I think that whole dialogue is the problem. These two thoughts uh, stuck out to me, and I wanted to take a minute to talk about this. And I feel like I need to be totally open and honest here. So let me start by introducing myself. My name is John McClung, and I work with a couple of people here at Seekers to put together this podcast. I was raised in a small conservative town by a fairly conservative family. And up until a couple of years ago, I didn't even know what sanctuary was. But I'm deeply inspired by everyone involved in this movement, and I'm putting these stories together for people like me. We have a ways to go, and we won't always agree. But thanks to all of you who are involved and take time to talk, I'm learning. And I know I'm not the only one. This podcast isn't going to move the needle for millions of people, and I think that's okay. It's moving the needle for me, and my hope is to connect with a few more people like me, who then connect with a few more people, and so on. I kind of think that's what it's going to take. It's going to take all of us. This podcast has had a lot of cool ideas on how to get involved and places to volunteer. The trouble is, it's not always that easy. We're not all at that same starting point. And uh, we have to start somewhere. Today's conversation with Anila Afzali really illustrates this for me. I'm a bit embarrassed to admit this, but this is probably my first conversation with a Muslim. And for at least a couple of people, this will be the first time they've listened to a Muslim that wasn't on the news. During our conversation, Anila talks about an intentional effort by anti-Muslim hate groups to manipulate fear and use Islamophobia as a wedge issue to divide and conquer. At the time, I kind of felt like she was overstating this a little bit. 
but it definitely stuck in my head. And as it turns out, she's absolutely right. And now I can see it everywhere. It sticks out like a sore thumb. I guess all this is to say thank you. Thank you for your feedback. Thank you for your understanding. And thank you for going on this journey to understanding with those of us who are just waking up. We might not agree on everything, but in the end, there's only one thing that matters. Hoy es José, mañana Juan. Previously on Sanctuary in downtown Seattle. That was the morning that José had come into Sanctuary at the church. What I remember most about that day was the, the feeling of satisfaction that whatever was unfolding, it felt like we were doing the right thing. I mean, I would like people to be more aware, you know. Um, they read stuff or they hear stuff and they believe it and they've never talked to an asylum seeker, they've never talked to a refugee, they don't know what that life is like, what, how much they struggle. Well, talking about the wall is, is economic um, discrimination, actually, because a significant percentage of the people who are undocumented in the United States come in with a visa. They come in by air, and they overstay their, their tourist visa. Week by week, we're telling this story of sanctuary in downtown Seattle through the voices of the people involved. On this episode, we talk with the executive director of the American Muslim Empowerment Network at the Muslim Association of Puget Sound. Let me know when you're ready and let me know how you want me to begin. Great. Why don't you start by introducing yourself and telling us a little bit about you? Sure. So my name is Anila Afzali, and I'm the executive director of the American Muslim Empowerment Network at the Muslim Association of Puget Sound, or MAPS, which is the largest Islamic center in the state of Washington. I'm also on the board of the Washington Immigrant Solidarity Network and the Faith Action Network. So in both of those contexts as well, I work uh, directly with refugees, with immigrants, uh, and really try to address some of the issues that we're facing right now. Uh, by trade or practice, I guess, I I'm a recovering attorney. I left my legal career uh, about five years ago now uh, to really pursue service and knowledge. Working on this podcast has given me the opportunity to see people from different faith backgrounds working together, which has been pretty neat. Absolutely, absolutely. That has been one of the very inspiring things to see uh, in response to things like the Muslim travel ban, in response to the family separation policy, the zero tolerance policy, uh, in response to hate, uh, hate groups coming to town. Uh, really, that has been beautiful to see people of different faith traditions coming together uh, and really standing for what's right, really making a moral voice, a united moral voice against a lot of these injustices Justices that are happening in our country. Uh, I am always happy when I see faith in action that way. Uh, so it's been beautiful to see and it's part of what inspires me in the work that I do. I guess I didn't realize that happened. It, has it surprised you at all? Um, I think maybe for other people, they're surprised. They're surprised to see people of different faith traditions coming together, standing united, and I have seen the power of it. You know, even for people who are not necessarily religious themselves, when they see that kind of showing of faith leaders standing united with a moral voice, uh, I have seen people cry, including people who are not even religious, because of the symbolism and power in just that visual. Having said that, I think the way I look at it is, uh, you know, my faith uh, commands me to stand firmly for justice. 
And I know that uh, that concept of justice exists in other faith traditions as well, that commandment to stand firm for justice. So to me, I don't see it as something that should surprise anyone. I see it more uh, surprising that faith communities and faith leaders have not been involved in some of these issues in the past. So I think it's a little bit uh, on, on our end that we have failed in the past to be more vocal uh, in some of these situations where uh, I believe our country needs to hear the voices of faith leaders and faith communities taking back religion at a time when there are some who in the name of religion do things that are horrible or uh, try to pervert religion uh, and, and use it in ways like, for instance, they may say they stand for family values and then go around and separate po families or uh, support the separation of families. So that to me is something that we need to take back and reclaim religion, reclaim faith and morality and make it very clear that regardless of our faith tradition, we believe and in love, compassion, mercy, justice, helping those in need, welcoming the stranger, uh, all of that is part of all of the different faith traditions that I'm familiar with, including my own, of course. One recurring theme that keeps coming up in all of our conversations for the podcast has been misconception. And I'm wondering what misconceptions you see. Uh, in terms of immigrant issues, I think there's a lot of misconception about the actual contributions of immigrants and uh, what they take away. Uh, I tell people this, that if right now, if we were to pull out all the immigrants in our country, whether legal, whether documented or undocumented, the reality is that our economy will come to a screeching halt. So I think there's a misunderstanding around how much immigrants actually contribute to the economy, to the culture, to the education system, to the political system, to every possible way. To business world, of course, as well. Why do you think some of us have a hard time seeing that? Uh, I think there is uh, narratives around immigrants uh, and especially undocumented immigrants and especially those, for instance, on the border uh, seeking asylum or refuge right now. There's a lot of misinformation and a lot of fear mongering related to that. And it has to do very much with a continuation of a narrative against sort of other marginalized communities as well. Wow. When you say fear-mongering and misinformation, I can't help but also think of Muslim people and some of the things that keep uh, popping up in my social media channels. It is not by accident either. There is an intentional effort by certain anti-Muslim hate groups, what we dub the Islamophobia industry, and they have a very strong and powerful and effective echo chamber. And unfortunately, some of our political leaders, among others, have decided to that this is, this is a, a way to really politicize and gain politically by manipulating fear and by using Islamophobia specifically as a wedge issue to divide groups, to, to divide and conquer. The whole idea of scapegoating that our Jewish sisters and brothers and our black sisters and brothers and, and many others have also gone through. Okay, well, let's address some of the misconceptions regarding Muslims. What are some important things that I need to understand? that American Muslims are contributors. They have been part of our country since the very beginning. A lot of people seem to think of, of Muslims as other or foreign to the U.S., when in reality, 
Muslim tra uh, uh, explorers were here before Columbus even, uh, and they were brought over in terms of the slave trade as well. Estimates are between 15 to 30 percent of those human beings enslaved from Africa were Muslim, and they were forced, some of them were forced to convert or at least hide their religion, but we have documented evidence of them, ex of uh, American Muslims being there even that early. Uh, we have evidence of American Muslims fighting in our Revolutionary War, Civil War, World War One, World War II. You know, so from the very beginning of our country and before we even were a country, we had American Muslims and Islam be part of it. Thomas Jefferson uh, had a copy of the Quran. Um, and then there's a lot of other facts like that that people just don't know or understand. Yeah, I, uh, I would have to include myself in that group. So what can I do to help? Start by education, education of yourself and the people you know, because we all have our networks and people that we know that we can help educate about some of these issues after we ourselves have the education. If you've never visited a mosque before, come visit MAPS, the Muslim Association of Puget Sound in Redmond. We do open houses on a quarterly basis. They can find us on our website, mapsredmond.org, um, and just send an email even and come visit. You know, get outside our comfort zone, and I encourage people to do that, to get to know their neighbors, get to know, you know, their immigrant sisters and brothers, get to know their Latinx sisters and brothers, their black sisters and brothers, their white sisters and brothers. It does not matter. This is the time that we need to be building bridges of understanding and unity and getting to a, a place where on the ground we have real relationships. So that's number one. Number two is really find ways and places, uh, networks or coalitions uh, to get involved in. Right now there have been so many different networks and, and coalitions that have arisen in the past just two years even. Um, certainly the Faith Action Network is a great one. People can go to the calendar on the Faith Action Network website and find activities and events and ways to get involved there. And FAN maintains an interfaith sort of uh, a calendar of events. Uh, they can go to the Washington Immigrant Solidarity Network uh, and find opportunities there for, for engagement, for volunteering, uh, different committees that they can join. They can uh, learn more about different ways and go to the Church Council of Greater Seattle or uh, there, there's just a lot of different places that they can go to learn more and get engaged. And if people are still like, oh, I'm lost, I don't know where to start, what I would say is uh, simply uh, contact uh, me if they wish. They can contact me or contact Maps Redmond uh, uh, to find ways that they could get involved in some of the issues that matter because it is more important than ever for people today to step up, engage, get involved, and make a difference in their communities and in our country. It definitely feels like a lot more people are getting involved. Uh, yes, I think there are more people getting involved sort of on both sides. And what right. I mean by that, there are more people getting involved and being more vocal about their hate uh, and their bigotry and their you know, discriminatory views about things. So they're being much more vocal. Uh, and obviously we're seeing the impacts of that in some of the highest levels of hate crimes against, for instance, American Muslims and other groups as well in our country, unprecedented levels. At the same time, we are seeing the activation of others who want to combat that that hate with love, with unity, with solidarity, with activism. People that before, like you said, never may have thought about even entering politics, for instance, are now running for office and winning and deciding that it's up to them to really take action and serve the public in, in positive and effective ways and find ways that we can all engage more in some of these issues that affect us all. So that has been actually one of the most inspiring things, particularly from the, the election earlier this year, uh, where we had so many firsts 
And it was just beautiful, empowering, inspiring to see that and to feel that energy and that buzz and that excitement and the reality that, hey, it is helping other people who previously thought nobody that looks like me is in office that may have thought, you know, young girls, for instance, may have thought, I can't run for office because, you know, I look like this or I dress like this or I act like this or whatever, or I come from this background. They are seeing the reality that they can do it. It doesn't matter your age necessarily. We have Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Uh, it doesn't matter your ethnicity, your race, your religion. None of that matters. It is our time to get engaged and really drive the issues that, that matter to all of us and that affect us. Well, I feel hopeful. How about you? Absolutely. I mean, my faith teaches me hope, so I'm not going to lose hope. And I also see it as, you know, the people who lose hope, what I try to tell them is we cannot fall into despair. And the reason being is despair oftentimes is debilitating and it stops us from being able to make change or make a difference. It starts, you know, a really negative downward spiral. And I tell people that that's what some people want. You know, some people want to debilitate us in that way, and we cannot allow that to happen. I also remind people that, you know, as bad as things are today, look at previous generations or previous periods in history where other giants on whose shoulders we stand on withstood a lot worse things, and they didn't lose hope. I would see it as an insult to their, you know, legacies if I were to lose hope today. Next time on Sanctuary in downtown Seattle. That's something that you can only know by learning their story, not just judging by what you think is wrong or right, because sometimes doing the wrong thing is the only right thing to do. We're trying to be hopeful for my dad's sake because he, at times there is where he's like, I don't think this is gonna go good, so it's kind of up to us to be like, oh no, yeah, this could happen, this could happen, you have this option, you have this. So I guess kind of for us, hope is what's kind of keeping us together. Sanctuary in downtown Seattle is produced by Seekers Northwest, along with the Church Council of Greater Seattle.